Hello and welcome to the Dismantle Racism Show. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. Our goal at the show is to uncover, dismantle, and to eradicate racism. I really do want to invite you to lean into today's discussion because we're going to be talking about how to create a social movement. But don't worry. If you're not interested in creating a movement, but you want to be a part of it, you will still have really, really great kernels to take away from today's show. So please do stay tuned. I want to invite us to center down for our time of meditation. And I want to just remind you, if you would like to have a copy of my meditations, particularly as they are related to uh, my book, Dismantling Racism, just go to your favorite streaming place and download them. They're there for you to uh, help center you and to fortify you for the journey. I also want to invite you, if you're listening on YouTube, to please put your comments in because we want to hear what you have to say. We want to try to answer your questions in the moment. We want you to be active in this show. So in, I invite you, please, if you would, to find a comfortable place to sit and to plant your feet on the floor. And I want you to close your eyes, if you will. Just take a moment to take a deep breath in. And then let it out. Another deep breath in. And let it out. One more deep breath in. And let it out. And then just begin to breathe normally. Connecting with who you are. Connecting with your inner sacred intelligence, your divine wisdom, that part of you that helps you to make intelligent choices that are going to manifest your greatness while helping others to do the same. So just breathe in and out, connecting with your soul and your spirit and with the spirits of others, the people that you know, the people that you don't know, because we're all interconnected. And just breathe in and out and see yourself encircled by a light of love, which helps you to realize that you are loved and you are love itself. And within that light is wonderful power that helps you to change the status quo. Breathe in and out, recognizing that what you do matters and that the power of one contributes to the power of many. You matter, your story matters, your input matters. Breathe in and out, connecting with your foundation, honoring your commitment for social change. 
recognizing that the power of one contributes to the power of community. So take a deep breath in and exhale. When you're ready, open your eyes and let's begin. Today, as I said, we're going to be talking about how do we start a social movement? Change doesn't happen overnight, especially when it's radical change. Movements such as the civil rights movement, women's rights, LGBTQIA rights, and the like were started because a group of people saw injustices and said, I want to do something about this. Now, we're coming off of the heels of celebrating Dr. Martin Luther King's holiday. And for some reason this year, as we were celebrating, I really was thinking about Mrs. King, Coretta Scott King, because we don't really hear a lot about the women necessarily of the movement or the women who supported even the men who were out there in front, but their story matters. Did you realize that four days after her husband was assassinated, she was marching in the streets of Memphis? She didn't even have time to catch her breath good, to grieve, of course, which took, I'm sure, years. She was still in the movement. Did she do it because she wanted to honor him? Or did she do it because she understood it was also her life purpose? to be involved in the movement. We all have different roles to play. And she was a powerful woman. In fact, the reason why you have the holiday for Dr. Martin Luther King is because she was an advocate of that. She continued the movement long after he was gone. But not just Mrs. King, as I was going through and preparing for a program that I had at my church this weekend on or this past weekend on Dr. King, I really took a look at who were some of the other people involved in the movement. And there are some martyrs that I just want to call your attention to today because I think we don't know enough about the people who gave their lives for this movement. Vernon Ferdinand Dahmer was a wealthy business businessman. He offered to pay the poll taxes for all those individuals who couldn't pay their own poll tax so that they could vote. The night after he made this broadcast on a radio station, his home was firebombed and he died from severe burns. Then there's Paul Gilhard. He was a reporter for a French news service. He was killed by gunfire from a white mob during protests over the admissions of James Meredith to the University of Mississippi. William Lewis Moore was a postman from Baltimore, was shot and killed during a one-man march against segregation. Moore had planned to deliver a letter to the governor of Mississippi urging an end to intolerance. Then there's Viola, Greg Luizzo, a housewife and a mother from Detroit, drove alone to Alabama to help with the Selma March after seeing televised reports of the attack at the Edmund Pettus Bridge. She was ferrying marchers between Selma and Montgomery when she was shot and killed by a Klansman in a passing car. I'm not advocating 
that you go out and put yourself in danger. If you do, that is your choice, of course. That's not the point of me sharing these names with you. There are two points. One is this. These people sacrifice their lives and we hardly ever hear their names. The majority of those names that I read were white people who sacrificed their lives to be a part of the movement. Because today on our show, we're actually going to be talking about white people being involved in creating a movement and what happens when white people are actually called out if they don't get it right. Well, these folks decided, I'm not going to sit back. I'm going to step up because there's an injustice happening and I want to be a part of the change. So I want you to recognize that we have people from all different races who've been involved in the movement. And so the second thing I want us to take away from reading these lists of names is this, it takes all of us for a movement to happen. Don't buy into this concept that it's a black problem. It's a brown problem. It's a white problem. It's an LGBTQIA problem. It's an ageism problem. No, it is our problem. And we all have to do something about it. So I invite you to really lean in to our discussion today and see where you fit in. This show is about a moral issue that is happening. And you have to decide which side of history do you want to be on. So I'm delighted today to have a dear friend and colleague who I've only known for a couple of years, but she is so wonderful and she has been involved in the movement for quite a long time. Today, my guest is the Reverend Dr. Andrea Avazian. She's been a social change activist since she was radicalized in the 1960s during the Vietnam War. She's an ordained pastor in the United Church of Christ. She serves on the ministerial leadership team at Alden Baptist Church in Springfield. She is the former dean of religious and spiritual life at Mount Holyoke College. She is the editor for Psalms in Ordinary Voices. I invite you to pick up a copy of that if you haven't done so. I used it last year during Lent, and it is wonderful. She's also, for the past dozen years, been a regular monthly columnist at the Daily Hampshire Gazette in Northampton, Massachusetts. And Andrea is the founder and director of the Sojourner Truth School for Social Change Leadership that offers free movement building classes, free movement building classes in person and online for all ages. So there is no excuse. If you want to get involved in this work and you need to take some classes so that you know what to do. So we are going to take a quick break, but I want to welcome Reverend Dr. Andrea Avazian to the show today. So Andrea, when we come back, we're going to dive right in with hearing your story of how you started and then how to create this change. We're going to be right back with the Dismantle Racism Show. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. 
While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. We are back with the Dismantle Racism show. My guest today is the Reverend Dr. Andrea Avazian, who is the founder and director of the Sojourner Truth School for Social Change and Leadership. Dr. Avazian, I just want to jump right in there because you have been doing this work for a really, really long time. And I always start by asking my guests, this question, which is what keeps you grounded? And for you, I really want to want you to kind of share with me, how do you stay in this for so long? Because we saw when George Floyd was murdered, that there were many folks who jumped on the bandwagon. And where are those folks now? So what keeps you grounded in this work? I'm so happy to be with you. And please call me Andrea. And I'm so touched by your very generous introduction. Thank you so much. What keeps me grounded and what keeps me going is an ongoing awareness that I have come into this world in a rigged society where I was by chance very favorable hand. Mm. And by no chance of my own, because I didn't choose these characteristics, I came into the world with a lot of unearned advantage and with a lot of privilege. And so there are multiple forms of systematic oppression in society. And I am white and middle-class and currently able-bodied still at 71. I am Christian. I, I am many things that gives unearned advantage to me on a daily basis. 
And my faith, we are both women of faith. We are both ordained pastors. My faith calls me to be a change agent mm. and to recognize that because society is rigged and because I lifted a very good hand at birth by chance, I am called to make change, to name injustice, to call out oppression, and to do what I can as a member of the dominant group in so many areas of systematic oppression. When we think about anti-Semitism, transphobia, homophobia, classism, racism, ageism, when we think about the forms of systematic oppression, I am overly advantaged and receive the unearned advantage in every one of them, except by uh, sexism, except that I'm female. Mm. But in the other areas, that's an awful lot of privilege dripping off me when I enter any group, when I walk down the street, when I travel, when I pick up the newspaper and see myself overrepresented. So I'm called because of my faith. I'm called because of my heritage. I'm a first generation Armenian American. I'm called because of my beliefs to be a change agent and to work with others who are in dominant positions mm. in, in areas of systematic oppression, to name, to be active. Do we get it right all the time? No. Do we fall? Do we, when you said a minute ago that white people are afraid of being called out when we get it wrong, dominance people who are in the dominant position in forms of systematic oppression who are working for change will get it wrong we will get it wrong whites get it wrong and and christians get it wrong and uh, able-bodied people get it wrong when they're working for justice and we go on anyway and we continue anyway we, we do and so 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 there are two things i want to pull out of what you said um because i have to address this word dominant for one second and then the other thing that I want to do is to say a lot of people who are in your position or our position, we might be called and a lot of Christian folk, but we don't do the work. And so there's something that you have that really drives you to do this work that's different than other people. And so maybe we can tease that out a bit. But but in recent years, I've stopped using the word dominant culture and majority a minority because i think psychologically what that does is that we hear oh i'm a part of the dominant culture so that already puts us over that other group in some way or i'm part of the minority culture it makes us feel like okay there's something inferior about us and i believe that a part of changing uh systemic racism and institutionalized racism and a world that's racist is that we have to change the language. So I just wanna offer that to you and to offer that to our listeners to kind of just think about things that we've been used to using. Perhaps if we start to change those things, then it becomes a way of saying, oh, wait, I'm not dominant, but I am. I could be privileged, I understand that. I could be very privileged because I know as a Christian in this country, I'm privileged. And what that privilege means is that there are some ways I can walk in the world that perhaps other people cannot. Now, there are some other things that might come up, but I do understand the concept of, of what you're saying. So I just want to address that. And you, you're you free to, to jump in. <laughs> I want to I jump in and say words are imperfect. Words in movements are imperfect. 
I started doing anti-racism work in the 80s, and we actually used to say perpetrator and victim. We don't say that anymore. Then we started saying victimizer and victim. We don't use that anymore. I never use majority and minority. I never use that because people of color are the global majority. And because majority and, and minority is so inaccurate, I do use dominant and targeted, and I'm going to push back, because if you noticed in my introductory comments, every time I said dark, dominant, I said receives unearned advantage. Yeah. I said receives unearned advantage, I think probably four times, and I'm a broken record on that. So words are imperfect. We no longer use perpetrator victim, victimizer. We no longer use those words, however, and we don't use majority minority. I use dominant and targeted because I always connect dominant with receiving unearned advantage. Mm -hmm. And I also say people who are systematically targeted in the political, social, and economic spheres. So I am... <laughs> I am searching for better words. We have dropped some of the old language, which was actually became destructive. When I started doing this work, I was schooled in words I would never use now. Right. Um, but I will say dominant culture is another way of talking about white supremacy culture. Mm. And, and systematically targeted is another way of saying oppressed by the forms of systematic oppression that exist in this country today. So I love that we have this little <laughs> well, controversy. I because I love that we have this little controversy. Good for right, us. Right. It is it's absolutely good because I want to tell you, you know, most people aren't going to sit down and explain dominant in the way I heard every word you said in it, but I the dominant kept hitting me, hitting me, hitting me because it's something I try not to use because people say, well, I'm a part of the dominant culture or those in the dominant culture. And, and there's not this full explanation. And what this shows is, is that two people who are fully committed to the movement can also have different points of views because at this point, I no longer use anti-racism. And I have to tell you, I think she was a white woman. I'm not positive. But someone wrote to me one day and said, do you think that you could stop using anti-racism? And the reason that she explained is she said, because we want to talk about what we want and anti feels like you're, 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 you're talking about, um, you're pushing back. And it, of course we're going to push back, but it just feels like heavy and it feels like th this whole big force. And so let's call into this space what we want. And of course I initially had to say, Ooh, who is she to be telling me not to use anti-racism? I've been doing this work for 20 years, blah, blah, blah. But I sat with it because we all can learn. And so I did start thinking about, okay, that's why I use the phrase dismantle, right? Like sometimes people don't use anti-violence anymore. The bottom line, though, with all of this, and I really want people to take this, this there are going to be disagreements sometimes in how we do things but do it, do it, do it, do it. So that gets back to the second part of what you said in your- Can I, can I say something about anti-racism or would you rather not? I, 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 I think what you want to say is important. Let's take it wherever you want to go. My dear Terrilyn, I work with a lot of white people. I don't know who reached out to you and said, don't use anti-racism. Can't we talk about what we're for? I don't know who that was. I will tell you that in my workshops with white people, they say that a lot. Mm 
that I stand there and say, as anti-racist, and then someone will raise their hand. You can almost set your clock by it. And I will just say that in workshops with a lot of white people, they would much rather talk. We, 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 I'm white, would much <laughs> rather talk about what we're for, what we dream about, what mm. we're working towards, much anything that lets white people off the hook. And mm -hmm. I say, of course, talk about what you're for. Of course, talk about your dreams. Of course, give language about what you're working towards. But first, be an anti-racist. First, say, I am bumping up against white supremacy culture because it actually needs to be dismantled. That's and right. only talking about my dream, I'm going to tell you, it lets white people off the hook. So mm -hmm. I use it and I get pushback in my workshops. People have been, people have then gone silent and not wanted to engage because I pushed back and I offended them. But I'm in the business of offending white people. So that's okay. Oh, I, you know what? And, and so I'm glad that you actually did say that. Um, that's important for our listeners to hear because again, we all have different approaches. You know, for me, um, and I know that you come from a place of love when you're teaching as well. Um, and it's so funny because Andrea actually uh, reviewed my book and there were a couple of times she's like, you're talking to white people. Why don't you just say you're talking to white people here? And so uh, thankfully, even though my audience was primary white. I'm so blessed though, because people of color have also read the book and said, wow, I needed to hear this. This is fortifying me for the journey. And I do this work all the time, but it's always important to know like white people, I'm talking to you for this particular thing right here. And, so and, and Terrilyn, when I say in workshops, first you're an anti-racist and you dismantle racism then talk to me all about your dreams even in the same sentence but first name that you are combating racism and then you'll hear people of color in the workshop if it's a mixed group say thank you yes thank you well because the bottom line is we can't dismantle it unless we're pushing up against it otherwise we're we're walking on on that walkway that that dr tatum talks about when you're in the airport we just keep walking forward and we may not be be walking sometimes we're standing on that little uh moving walk sidewalk sometimes we're we're walking but either way we're still going towards it and so she says you have to turn around and bump up against it right so you have to really bump up against the system so we do have to take a break, of course, Andrea, but I do want to talk about when we come back, because you talk about letting white people off the hook, and it is too easy for white people to decide, I don't want to do this anymore. I mean, people were hot and heavy in 2020, and some of those people have fallen off. There's still something about you that keeps you moving. The 1960s was a little while ago, and you're still doing it. Right there's So there's something that makes you continue. And I wonder what you can offer after the break to white people to say, hey, we've got to do this. So we'll be right back with the Dismantle Racism Show. Call your friends, tell them they should join us now because it's a hot show today and we want you all to be a part of it. We'll be right back with the Dismantle Racism Show. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. 
Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy and Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. We're back with my guest today, the Reverend Dr. Andrea Avazian. Andrea, so tell us, how do we stay in it? How do we keep from saying, I'm tired, not doing this anymore, or something else has pulled our attention away? What do we do? Oh, you're muted, Andrea. I thank you. I think we do say I'm tired. I think we own fatigue. I think our work for justice ebbs and flows. I think self-care is very important as long as it's not self-indulgence. I think there's a big difference between very healthy self-care and self-indulgence. And I think there's a difference between taking a few days off and regrouping and taking a few months or years off and dropping out. There's a big difference. Um, How I keep going is such a good question. I do have to say that As you said in the introduction, I was radicalized during the Vietnam War when I was in college in Ohio at Oberlin College, and I'm 71. So I started being active in social movements at 18. So Mm -hmm. that's, we're talking about um, 50 years. I think now being active in social change movements and now being a movement elder, I think it's in my DNA. And I think a long time ago in my family and in my church and in my circle of friends, I and so many other people around me chose not to have a life of ease, but a life of purpose and a life of meaning and to commit to uplifting what was in the common good. And so I do this work and other whites do this work when we come to the realization that denial does not serve us and does not help us claim our full humanity. Apathy does not serve us and does not help us claim our full humanity. And if we wanna be and take our rightful place in the human family, our rightful place comes with activism as Alice Walker has talked about, that Mm -hmm. activism is the rent we pay for being present on this earth. And Mary Oliver, poet Mary Oliver also talks about us taking our rightful place in the circle of the human family and of all living beings, not more than our place, not too much of a place 
and not too little. And my rightful place when I claim my full humanity is to care about full humanity, other humans everywhere of every, uh, 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 in the great diversity and beauty that is all God's people. And so right now it is now in my DNA. And why else do I keep going? Because I'm a mother, because mm -hmm. I'm a grandmother, because I look at two-year-old Fiona and think, oh my heavens, if I don't work to stop gun violence, to stop oppression, to, to turn around climate change, to prevent nuclear war, what legacy are we leaving our kids, our grandkids and the seven generations? Yeah, you know, so I just want to reiterate, you said so many powerful things in that sentence, but there, there's something that I, I want to make sure our audience take this away. Doing the work of social justice means making a choice, a commitment, claiming your humanity and being a part of the circle of humanity. You like those three C, those four C's right there. So you just got to do the work because it is important to do this work and to recognize that if one of us suffers, we all suffer. So are there times that you lose hope with doing this work, particularly around racism? I, I would flip the question, and this is going to, going to sound very stark to your listeners, and I'm going to flip the question. You said, are there times when I lose hope? I would rather say there are times when I gain, gain hope. I lose hope a lot because to be very transparent and to be very honest, I think in my life, hope is a luxury. I think in my life, hope is a discipline. And I think hope is a choice. My work is to keep going and to continue in the struggle, whether I'm hopeful or not. Mm. It's just a discipline. I wake up and say, God, give me the strength and the hope and the conviction to do the work that is before me this day, this day. I don't pray in the morning and say, make me useful for the next decade, or I hope I was helpful yesterday. I ask for the strength and the conviction to do and the hope to do the work that is before me this day. So when you say, what, what keeps me going and do I have hope? Some days I don't, and you work anyway. I have so much unearned advantage that hope is just a luxury. I'm called to this work. I think it's a discipline and I think hope is a choice. And today I'm finding this hopeful. Mm. And Tuesday I took care of Fiona and I found that hopeful. Mm. And Sunday in worship, I heard a good sermon. I found that hopeful. If I can get a blessing and a source of hope, even if it's fleeting each day, that is good enough. But do am I hopeful every day? No but that does not give me license to stop. Mm -hmm. So many times in this interview, you have used the three words, do the work. You've said it over and over and over. You've said, do the work. And that as a white person with so much advantage and so much given to me and so many blessings, I'm called to do the work, whether I'm having a good day or not. Yeah, but, but tell me, because I know you and I have talked because we talk about a lot of stuff when we talk, we've talked about how white people will retreat when they're called out. So I want you to speak about that calling out. And then if you could talk just a little bit about the difference between um, calling in versus calling out. And then I'm sure we're going to end up bumping up against a, a break, but we have to, to we want to end today's show by saying, are there some things to do 
where we can create that movement? Do you want to leave some tips for that? So let's start first about this whole idea of retreating when, when white folks are called out. I want to credit the person who has taught me the most about calling in the call out culture, and that is Loretta Ross who is a professor at Smith, a long, long, long time activist, um, now a MacArthur Genius winner. She won a MacArthur Genius Grant, and she is about to come out with a book, I think called Calling in the Call Out Culture. So Loretta Ross, activist, visionary, I honor you. And Loretta Ross says you keep going when you're called out. And that calling out um, on the part of the person doing, doing it is a way to acquire some power and accumulate some strength and not to feel so bad about your own flaws that you'll call out someone else's um, misuse of language that you'll call out where they misstepped rather than seeing that if we call people in if we say i've done what you just did and here's what i've learned along the way i've said what you just said i've used that word and then learned that language has changed and that there are new ways to express ourselves. I've misstepped in meetings like you just did. And I've dominated, I've, been, I've had too much to say, I've used up too much airtime. To actually call in, because every person with unearned advantage has misstepped countless times. Mm -hmm. And so you can reach out to somebody who has just misstepped and said, come back into the fold. I've done that. And here's what I've learned. Let me help you. Let's walk this, this journey together. So Loretta Ross says, calling out makes people burn out and mm -hmm. it makes people drop out. Yeah. And calling in keeps people in the movement. I don't want to be a source of burning people out or helping people drop out. I want to say, I get it. I get it that you just used that language that we don't anymore. I get it that you did badly in the meeting. It doesn't make you a totally bad person. It means you're learning and growing. Welcome to the rest of the great unwashed. Right. But you know what, Andrea, I think the thing that's that is a bit frustrating sometimes as a as a black person and as a black person who's actually out front doing the work, because we all do the work in a different way or, or we're, we're confronted with this every day, is this luxury that white people can say, oh, I've been called out, you hurt my feelings, and so I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore. Even as a person who does this work, there's always learning that I have to do as well. People correct me on things I say, and, and you better believe people within the culture are going to correct me on things that I say or do or call me out on something, but I don't also, I don't have the advantage of saying I'm not going to do the work because my life, my children's life, my nephews, my kindred's life depend on this. And, and I think that for white people to be under the assumption that we also, and maybe they're not assuming it, I don't know, that we don't experience something going through this as well, but we're committed to doing this. There is, um, when I am teaching, I have to really ground myself before teaching because what people don't understand is that as a facilitator, and you might have this experience too, we're actually absorbing all that people are sending our way. We're holding space for so many people. And if we don't try to create a container for ourselves, we're, we're absorbing all of that. And I actually had someone to say to me recently, she said to me, 
even after your shows, you really need to do a cleansing because just from what you're hearing on those shows and just navigating, you're taking on. And so I really want white people who are listening to really think about, we're all making a sacrifice in doing this work. And just because your feelings are bruised, it doesn't mean that you don't keep going. So I want to give you a chance to to respond to that if you want to. And then we have to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll wrap up the show talking about uh, the movement that you help people to create at the Sojourner Truth uh, School. I know we're coming up on a break. And what you just said, my dear, my friend, is I'd like to unpack and maybe we can continue it after the break. But I want to remind you that Robin D'Angelo, a white woman, wrote a book called White Fragility and talks about the power of white tears when white people break down because they've been so wounded because they've been called out and you know we need to recognize that white fragility then inspires white people to retreat i've just been hurt i meant well white people don't understand that they do mean well and do badly they mean well and do badly and so the meaning well okay good we can celebrate that the doing badly we have to correct there has to be a course correction there so white fragility and white tears is really a powerful way that white people retreat and i name it i say come back come mm -hmm. back we don't need to be that fragile you're tougher than that you're stronger than that you're in this movement nobody just said that you should be buried under the building we said you did a little bit badly, which white people do all the time. Anyone, and I'm gonna use in the dominant group with unearned advantage does badly. Heterosexuals do badly around homophobia. Um, it, it, men do badly around sexism. Rich people do badly around issues of poverty because it's not a lived experience of their being oppressed, but we go on anyway and we shore up and we gather with others <laughs> and we don't let ourselves drift away because we were so hurt. That's white fragility. Right, that's right. Well, that's a good place for us to take a break. When we come back, we're going to hear uh, just a bit because there's probably needs to be a part two of this show about how do we really create a movement? We'll be right back with the Dismantle Racism Show. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy and Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be frank about health to advocate for all of us. Are you a conscious co-creator? 
Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. We're back with the Dismantle Racism show, and I feel like the hour has gone so very quickly. I did get a, a text message with a question, and of course, I have an answer that in my mind, but I'd love to hear what you think about it. And the person asked me whether White Fragility was a good book for people of color. Yeah, you're muted. You're muted. Is White Fragility a good book for people of color to read? Um, there won't be one sentence that is new to people of color, but she puts it well. She does a good job. She, um, it's right behind me. She uh, talks about how fragile white people are. She talks about the power of white tears. She talks about um, how white people circle the wagons and defend each other. It won't be <laughs> news to people of color at all, but it will lay out for uh, people of color what the tricks and the smoke and mirrors that white people use to not do the work. Her recent book, Robin D'Angelo's recent book is called Nice Racism. And that might be more interesting to people of color because nice racism talks about liberal racism, good liberals and progressives that do badly every day. And nice racism is really powerful because it's not the Klan. It's good white church folks and it's good white book group folks and it's good white neighbors who do really badly and are nice. So I would recommend nice racism over white fragility and white fragility is now a little bit dated, but nice racism, I think, came out last year. And she talks about pockets of nice racism where nice racism is flourishing, like all these good little enclaves of progressive white people like Ann Arbor, Michigan and um, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And she names my town. Mm. She names Northampton, Massachusetts. And I write for the local paper. So when I read Nice Racism, I said, hey, folks, here's we're being called out in this book, in this book on page like page six. So we've got more work to do that. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, I would say um, Nice Racism is a very helpful book. All right, so Andrea, we have to make sure that we get to the question. The topic is how to create a social movement, and we are near the end of the show. So tell us, you, you've just got to give us some pointers now. We'll do. We'll create do. a social movement, and then tell folks how they're going to be able to take classes because you teach it. That's right. So talk to us. You know, movement building is relational. It is based on relationships. Sometimes people are radicalized by reading a book or seeing a film, but often they're radicalized by the modeling of others. So when Cesar Chavez was asked, 
how he did all the organizing that he did during his lifetime. And as an old man, they said, what was your key? What did you do? And Chavez paused and then he said, well, first I talked to one person and then I talked to another person and then I talked to another person and then I talked to another person. Movement building is about modeling and talking about what you believe in and taking other people along. Just mm -hmm. taking them to meetings and taking them to vigils and taking them, inviting them to book groups that are reading Nice Racism. And it's, it's, it's about modeling and coming out of the closet as somebody who cares about these issues and is willing to go out on a limb and yes, does badly sometimes. I say to people, don't let your fear be bigger than your cause. Don't let your fear that you're going to do badly be bigger than your commitment to your cause. I also say to white people, I mentioned this before, you will do badly. It's not if you're gonna do badly. If you're talking about race, which you were raised not to talk about, and no one helped you with this, you are gonna do badly. Go forward anyway. I also think that we need to recognize that activists are not solo warriors. Join mm -hmm. groups, put yourself in diverse situations, and white people be useful. Don't enter a diverse group and take over and run the meeting. Get the mailing out, do the childcare, bring the snacks, do something that is supportive. I also say white people, there are three words to remember. Whites have not been raised to be effective in multi-ethnic groups. But what we have to remember is we have to listen and believe. Listen deeply to what people of color are telling you if they are giving you the gift of their truth telling and believe them. White people have been socialized to finish sentences, to refute the information they're giving, to defend other white people and to tell the person of color they're wrong. No, no, Harry didn't mean that. He doesn't have a racist bone in, their, in his body. Listen to people of color deeply. Draw them out if they're willing to spend time with you and to share their truth telling and believe them and ask, how can I be useful? And then step out on a limb. Don't burn out, don't drop out, don't give up. Stay with it. I mean, I serve a predominantly black church in Springfield. I serve a predominantly black church in Springfield. I don't know how we're doing on time, but I have to say, I've been there six years in the ministerial team. And recently an African-American man in the church who's a leader said to me, they call me Doc. And he said to me, you know, Doc, I didn't like you for the first two years. And I said, I know, I know so-and-so, I know you didn't. And I said, I tried to show up and shut up and to not take over and to listen and to be useful. He said, yeah, I just didn't like you. And I said, I know. And he said, why would I like you? I grew up in Mississippi. I was tormented. I was hurt by white people. I was targeted. Why would I start by liking you? And he said, I like you now. Mm -hmm. And I said, why do you like me now? And he said, you did show up and shut up. And you just kept coming back. This makes me cry. And you just kept being useful. And you just kept bringing dishes to the potluck suppers. And you just kept being up there and leading prayers that were meaningful. And you cried in church and you hugged us. You stay with it. Because trust is earned, acceptance is a gift, it is not a given, it's a gift. And I am grateful that he likes me now. Mm -hmm. And white people stay with the work, engage in diverse settings, 
drop hopes of perfection. You will not be the perfect ally. Men will never be the perfect ally to me. They will get it wrong. It, 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 it is just a given that allies will misstep. Just swallow hard, say apologies, ask for forgiveness, and keep going. And I mm -hmm. will say one last thing about forgiveness. Forgiveness is also not a given. It is granted. And forgiveness can also center white people in the discussion. Suddenly, it's all about white people's pain and how they need to be forgiven and how they become this person who's pleading. Forgiveness is not a given. It is granted by magnanimous hearts. <laughs> and basically, we apologize, we learn, we do better, and we go on. So I would say those are some of my tips. So we are... At the end of the show, Andrea, I have enjoyed you, enjoyed you so much. Tell people how they can take a course Great. at the Sojourner Truth School. And I just want to point out about the courses. The courses are not just for white people. I know we've talked about the work of white people on today's show, but the school itself is for anybody who is in the movement. I actually teach uh, a course there. I have one coming up in a couple of weeks on two Saturdays. So just tell people how they can get in touch with the school. And then I want you to just close us out with a short uh, blessing, if you will, of about 30 seconds, because we don't have long left for the show. Right. The Sojourner to School for Social Change Leadership has every semester, spring and fall, 40 to 50 classes on Zoom. We're now on Zoom. Anyone can take them. All of our classes are taught by people of color. We do not hire any white people or any white pairs to teach in the Sojourner Truth School. Some white people teach, but they must be in a biracial pair. So if you take one of our, this catalog has 46 classes. If you take one of these 46 classes in the semester coming up, it will be taught by a person of color. We have lifted up the leadership of people of color and amplified their voices. The classes are varied and are for every age and for all races and all ethnicities and religions you can find us by going to www.trueschool.org just google sojourner true school our entire catalog will come up you have to register so you get the zoom link all right in 30 seconds give us a words of inspiration to sail out of here you know i asked the holy one who is known to us by so many different names and is revealed to us in so many different ways, I ask the Holy One to give us all the strength to do the work that needs to be done, to give us the clarity to go forward and to put our egos aside, to give us the friendships and the colleagues that help us go forward and help us stand back upright when we have fallen or misstepped. I ask for the strength and the energy, the vision and the courage to do the work that is before me to do. And I ask that we stay connected, that we stay connected in love and we take our rightful place in the circle of humanity. Amen. Amen. And uh, Shay, thank you so much, Dr. Uh, Andrea Avazian, for being on the show. Please reach out to her. Take a course. It will help to fortify you as well for the journey. And so please, as she said, go to, to the, uh, the Truth School and look up all the classes that they have to offer. Thank and you. And read so this book. This book <laughs> helps us all. Read this book. 
dismantling racism. Thank you so much for Bless pointing you. that out. Bless you. And I want to thank you for listening today. I want to invite you back every week at this time. Please stay tuned for the Conscious Consulting Hour with Sam Leibowitz, where he helps you to walk through life with the greatest of ease and joy. Be well, be safe, be encouraged. Until next time, bye for now. business owner. Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. on edge hey we live in challenging edgy times so let's lean in i'm sandra bargeman the host of the edge of every day which airs each monday at 7 p.m eastern time on talkradio.nyc tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges that's the edge of every day on mondays at 7 p.m eastern time on talkradio.nyc Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern time on talkradio.nyc. COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.